Yeah, here. We're fine. Like, well, and then, and you're like, well, you left the our original location, did you not? And they're like, well, yes, I did. And I was like, never go to a second location yeah. with a hippie. You failed. You failed. <laughs> you failed. It's your fault. I went to a second location with a hippie. I yeah. know. You bring them with that, you. That you location was my house. home. <laughs> and then he drank an entire bottle of, of white Zinfandel, and I thought he was going to die on my couch. Well, like barefoot wise. And then I kicked him awake at like 730 in the morning. I was like, let's go get your car. And I brought him back to Yo. the Big E. It's like, but you you brought the feral cat in your home, and they yeah. were mad when it shit on your rug. So it's fucking your fault. What's funny is, is I showed him like my records room. He's like, I bet these are worth a lot of oh, money, I man. I bet they are. I bet they are. <laughs> too, hippies are bad at math, except when it comes to stealing from people. <laughs> They're like fucking tax. It's like in the office when Kevin can't do yeah. math, but then they give him yeah, they do it in cupcakes, and he's like doing like long division in his head. Oh my god, that's incredible. Well, welcome to Get in the Garage, everyone. We do we have a plan? Yeah, we have a plan. Okay. Yeah. I we feel didn't like, talk about it. We already communicated from yes. uh, Yeah, we're communicating te- telepathically, man. I feel like Mike uh I finally just realized his cold open uh that he's always wanted. Yeah, I finally got my candid oh, okay. intro. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't work if you guys talk about the fact that I finally I got my candid intro. We well, I, I was trying to go for this it. This is truly candid. Well, we're reunited, and it feels so good. Oh, it does. The boys are back in town. <laughs> oh, truly. <laughs> we're finally in person again. Uh, live from Dino's. Live mm. live from Luke's dining room. Yeah. You're not getting my reference. No. Uh, boys are back in town. They're at Dino's oh, Bar yeah, and Grill, Dino's bro. Bar. Yeah, blood will spill. I know. Okay. If, yeah. I'm embarrassing myself because that's need a cricket sound. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna get the hotkeys pretty. Yeah, soon. if the boys are gonna fight, you better let them. The boys are back. Uh, welcome to get in the garage. I'm your host Mike here with Luke and Jeff. We're finally in person today. Uh, we are going to have our topic be our favorite live albums. Favorites. I got a couple of shoutouts. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, honorable mentions. I mean, we yeah. usually do that kind of thing yeah. anyway. Uh, I think it's favorite favorites with an, with a an eye on diversification, right, 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 right. Yeah, because I definitely tried to like diversify right. to like you know get a couple of different things. Luke, I think. Well, yeah, a little no bit. St- no, spoiler: No Stooges. I was expecting that, but oh, yeah. Stooges. We talked about them last. There week. is no great Stooges live record. Um, there is only travesty. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, just tragedy. <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, let's get into it, shall we? Uh, well, speaking, L- Luke, why don't you lead us off, man? Why don't you tell us your your first live selection? Would you, or do uh, you do you want to go first? Uh, well, since I am am thrust to the position of of first, I don't know why I said it like that. You know how much thrust. you like thrusting. That didn't sound that great. <laughs> thrust into the position. But I'm gonna go with the one that I can super remember, um, which is Bob Dylan's. Uh, you know. Uh, the fake Royal Albert Hall yeah. bootleg volume four. It was actually recorded in Manchester. Yeah, right? the uh, Manchester mistaken. Hall. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that was my first uh, pick. Um, Dylan's 1966 tour with the band uh, minus the band Levon Helm yeah. with a uh, replacement drummer, but Mickey Jones. Yep, character Mickey actor Jones. appeared on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia one episode. 
uh, workaholics, Boy he, Meets World. He basically looks like Louis Anderson's redneck brother. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, the drummer for Kenny Rogers in the first edition. That's right. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah just I dropped in that. to see what my condition. My condition I have a question for you though, Luke. Do you now? Do you own this on vinyl? No, I have it on CD. You have it on CD. Does the CD have the heckling? Because I listened to it on Spotify, and Spotify edited out the heckling. Yeah, no heckle. Yeah, I noticed that too. Because I, I was also, so mad. I just put on the Spotify version to listen to it on the big, yeah. the big system. Oh, actually, no, I didn't. Judas. Oh no, no, no. Is it edited out? I don't think so. Because uh, it's on my um. No, I heard it. I listened to it on my iPod. That's what I listened to it on. Oh, and, your uh, iPod from two thousand three. <laughs> yes, and I hooked my iPod. <laughs> My iPod Classic up to the big system, and uh, it was on there. I heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, because just the Spotify version, it didn't have – it's right before, like, a Rolling Stone where he's like, play it loud, right? Or, like, play it fucking loud. Yeah, so uh, this – I don't believe you. Well, this is why this concert is so famous because uh, Bob was like – you know, he just got heckled the whole time uh, and during the electric set, so – the CD and, you know, so the CD is the whole set. Yeah. Um, it's two discs. The first set's live, uh, acoustic, and then the second is with a band. Um, the Hawks then would be known as the band later. The band. But um, so the audience in England at the time is uh, is like they can't understand like that all music is pretty much, you know, derived from the same place <laughs> and that Bob Dylan's folk was, um, you know, just – you know, they really were into his folk acoustic music. Uh, you know, the times are changing. But um, they were not accepting of, like, the new single, like, a Rolling Stone, Highway 61, the second half of Bringing It All Back Home. Um, and he was met with a very hostile crowd um, that didn't really want to give his electric set the the chance. Um, like, did you guys notice, too, that they were clapping off time. Oh yeah, to fuck them up. To fuck it up so they couldn't yeah. count off the songs and stuff. Yeah. Um but yeah, so the point you're mentioning is someone at the end of the set gets so outraged that he calls Bob Dylan Judas as in the man who gave up Jesus Christ. <laughs> um and Bob There's Dil- another one? Yeah. Made it, famous in the movie, of yes. course, The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> yes, by uh that wonderful the man. The documentary, I mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so he calls him Judas. Bob is highly offended. You could tell, but during this whole concert, keeps his cool in a, like the coolest way, um, and just says, "I don't believe you. You're all liars." And then he turns to the band and he says, "Play it fucking loud." Yeah. And then they kick into probably the one of the best versions of like a Rolling Stone that ever exists. It's such a great moment. Yeah, it really is such a great moment. Um, this, uh, why I really like this set is I could take or leave the acoustic set. I really don't care about it. When I really love is the electric set um and the reason i love it is because uh, like i was explaining last week with the stooges box set i love me a hostile crowd i love a band (laughs) fighting the crowd it makes for such compelling music um and that's why i really really think this is one of the best live things ever also probably one of the best live rock and roll bit that's 1966 i don't think there's a precedent for a better sounding like band. Well, yeah, man, because even Robbie Robertson's performance on that is so intense, man. Mm-hmm. Like, people sleep on Robbie Robertson as a guitar player, I think. Like, you know, you get the, cl- you know, everybody is like, oh, Clapton, uh, Hendrix, you know, and so on. But it's like, people sleep, just like Mike Bloomfield, people sleep on Robbie Robertson, man. And, you know, the great thing about that set is he's almost playing the same kind of lick over and over again in every variation that yeah. you could ever imagine. Um, and I think he's Telly at this point still, right? Uh, yeah, I believe he's playing a Telecaster here. I think so. 
Uh, and Bob's, I think, playing a strat. Yeah. But um, th- what did you guys, like, um, think about, like, the opening tune, like, Tell Me Mama? Like, did you... Cause that's a that's a own that the that song only exists to that tour that was never a studio song or anything. So he never recorded that song again. It was just a live song for him. Oh really? Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yep, and you know, got great organ work yeah. in it. Yeah, um, I mean, Hudson. yeah, I'd agree with you in the way that you know the acoustic set is good. I mean, it's Bob Dylan doing acoustic. Yeah, I think it's good. You know, and I'm not a Bob Dylan guy, right? But I, I think him. I think the electric. When he goes to the electric set, it's like it's just so powerful. Like there's just I don't know. It just has that thing. There's like something about that era of Dylan that you know what I mean. Because I think because uh, uh, they didn't they released on record for Record Store Day like two years ago, right? The real Royal Albert Hall, right? The uh, double. So let's explain this. This bootleg is called the Royal Albert Hall concert quotation marks yeah. because the original bootleg. Uh, copies of this mistook this the uh, Manchester Hall show yeah. as the um, Royal Albert Hall show. So they right. released both uh, sets that you can listen to. They're identical. And you know, I think with the exception <laughs> of the Grateful Dead, I think Dylan's, I don't think I've ever seen any artist or band that has such an extensive like bootleg collection of work uh yeah dylan's pretty bootleggy the stones oh the stone oh yeah 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 stones no, you're right. is pretty bootleg heavy but yeah i mean it, it's up there there's um i think there's at least 20 shows from the 66 tour that are you know available to listen to they released yeah. a huge box set of it i think it's like 25 cds or some yeah. shit like that oh, also the 66 tour was the last time he toured until 74 with the band again yeah. yep because yeah, he got he, a motor uh motorcycle accident yeah motorcycle yep, yep. accident um so yeah, I mean, it, this I just think like the formation of what a rock and roll band live would sound like. Bob Dylan, '66 tour. Yeah. Like I feel like he was troubadouring that whole style together. Yeah, yeah. Like there was other bands doing it, but like there was just so much going on there. Um, right. You have like the the crazy out there, um, you know, Im- imagery, lyrics, and then mm. like a blues band i just really love it i also shout out to that drummer because that drummer builds that's my favorite part about listening to this band is i'm glad levon helm is not in this version of the band because the drummer they have just is pretty much either trucking along with the rest of the band you know playing like you know with rick danko and a great you know if they're trucking and then if he's not he's just building swells like like huge crashes yeah. and a lot of just building on the uh, floor tom and the um, the snare at the same time. So it's very simplistic but very well done and so style, stylistically great for the band. So yeah, man, yeah. That, that, was, that was my first pick. I really nice. Like it. I think that's a great pick. Yeah, and this is this is like a decade into rock and roll itself in a way. You know, like all the bands, the Chuck Berries and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But it was really revolutionary for a guy who was up there with the acoustic guitar singing eight verse songs to then have a band but i mean like fucking white people man like get the fuck over it like <laughs> the, as he said the times they are a changing yeah. like hello of course he's gonna try to go into something else he's been putting out that was what his fifth album i think bringing out home yeah something like that so it's like of course it's gonna kind of take a different shape yeah but that's the that's it's the better, whole thing it's better for it i think that that's that speaks to from what I've seen, obviously, you know, I wasn't there. But, like, I think that speaks to, like, the the English audience. Mm. Uh, because I know that, um, like, in the UK, and I guess this is a good segue. I'll just go next. Like, 
Muddy Waters, for example. Mm. Like when Muddy Waters went to the UK, he had already gone electric. But when he went, like the audience was actually upset because they wanted like Muddy Waters, the Delta Bluesman, like they, sitting on a fucking porch and shit. Right, right, right. Like they would have been more happy if he came out like sitting on a milk crate with an acoustic yeah. guitar and like a bottleneck slide. You know what I mean? And and yet he didn't. But come to find, from what I understand, he ended up going back a second time, mm-hmm. and the second time is when he did the acoustic set. But by then the electric thing was happening, yeah, right. so they were like, oh well. So it kind of like, you know, he kind of tripped himself out, but. Uh, my first pick will be uh, Muddy Waters live at Newport in 1960. Um, and what a great companion because we were right. just talking about Dylan's controversial electric set, which would happen in 65 at Newport. So this is 1960 at Newport. And, mm-hmm. and, and to be fair, Muddy was already doing it. Like, that's the, that's the funny part about it was that Muddy had um, guitar player. Hold on. Let me, uh, let me get his name. Uh, yeah, Pat Hare, who not only influenced the sound of like rockabilly music as we know it but i want to say he was playing in james cotton's band and he has what is considered to be the first heavy distorted electric guitar uh like part in a song where it's like he's actually hammering out these big crazy uh distorted guitar chords you know which is which is pretty cool but um but yeah i mean what and this what a lineup i mean you've got Otis Spann on piano. This is probably my favorite blues band of all James time. Cotton on harmonica. Francis Clay on and, drums. And literally James Cotton on harmonica. I think he played in the same key harmonica the entire set. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm listening to it, I'm like, I guess it works kind of on this song. Yeah, and it's just like, it's for me, it's just such uh, a great... Otis Spann on piano yeah. as well. Yeah, and he, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's the one... Like, Also, let me just say, okay... The 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 balls to just play got my mojo working twice, yeah. right at the end. Like they kick into it, and then like it ends, and then it like he plays it. They play it again. I think that's absolutely incredible. And then um, Langston Hughes, who mm. was uh, who was a poet, from what I understand, actually wrote the song "Goodbye Newport Blues" as the set was being played, and by the mm. end of it. Muddy Waters was so exhausted from the set that he kind of bowed out, and Otis Spann sang the song "Goodbye Newport Blues," uh, but which is you know a fun closer. But I mean, I got my brand on you, Hoochie Coochie Man, Baby Please Don't Go, Soon Forgotten, Tiger in Your Tank, I Feel So Good, and then the I you know got my mojo working. Like it's just, I just think it's just such a great set, and it's Muddy Waters and. Uh, from what I was reading up on, what's crazy is is Muddy Waters' first like album release, even though at that point he had only released singles, I want to say, like through Chess Records, the first debut album release was called The Best of Muddy Waters. And I just love the fact that that's the – like your first album is your best of album. Like I just think that that's so f- great. Like I think I, that's how it was though in that age because a lot of people would like put out like 10 singles. Right. And the album wasn't really a thing. Right, so, right. It, yeah, but to title it the best funny. of like right. I, that's what I just think is is so great like just that 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 was the title I just love the fact that that was the title you know yeah um, I think this band so like compared to those recordings that you're talking about would have been like mid fifties early fifties um, by this point is 1960 um, the band's got a good jump in it um, the drummer is more is like st- it's because you get this like weird part in rock and roll where like the drums don't like 
fully kick with the band in a certain way um, that you would get with the Beatles, like beat music. Mm -hmm. So like the drumming here is like still kind of old school, but still in like forming the new school. Um, like the fills are still kind of like jazzy, like kind of stuff. Right. Uh, and I think like the band's a little different, but like Otis Span for me playing piano on this whole record is the best part. I feel like his piano playing is so inspired and just like you know plays so great. Like you're talking got uh, my mojo working. Yeah. When he riffs off on the piano, mm -hmm. that's not you know the song doesn't start with a guitar riff. It's blah 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 blah, and then the rest and of the then, band yeah, kicks, kicks in. in right. So. Uh, and I love that too. Like, give them what they want. Like, the crowd went so yeah. nuts for "Got My Mojo Working." He's like, "Oh, I'm so good that I'm gonna play this again, and yeah. you are going to react even better because I'm that good of a musician." I think that's that most bands can't do it. Yeah, can't. and he, from what I understand, he turned that crowd too because I was reading up on it, and oh, the night yeah. before, Ray mm -hmm. Charles was playing, and things got so out of hand that there was like riots. Like, the National Guard had to move yeah. in. They, like, tear-gassed people and stuff, you know? So, I mean, there was some hesitation for them to even go on the next day because it's like, man, last night was really bad. Like, you know, and the fact that they went up there and they did that and they turned that crowd, like, I think that, you know, that speaks to, to Muddy Waters and now, his was band. This, like, was this at the Newport, like, jazz festival? Uh, folk, I think it was folk a, festival? I think it was Folk yeah, Festival, okay. yeah. Folk jazz, really. <laughs> jazz folk, folk jazz. <laughs> they only uh, made it two events so they could get double the gate. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, um, nope. You guys are. It's uh, the, it was the jazz festival. I didn't oh, think it was the jazz festival. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, I didn't it was think it was festival. the folk festival mm -hmm. because this is why folk festival was pretty purist, like super yeah. purist on yeah. like this is folk music, and that's why Bob shit kind of went down. Mm -hmm. But blues jazz. Was the jazz in blues. people's minds was was more, but now we kind of see yeah. blues, jazz, and folk as almost all the same thing because right. it's got the same uh, structures most of mostly right. Yeah. And but back in the day, I think people's minds were like, well, jazz is played mostly in a blues structure, so blues, you know, the jazz festival would also host. So no, so let's keep it real. Nineteen sixty. There's probably a different uh, type of crowd at one versus the other. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Demographics go. Absolutely. Yeah, right. right. So. I feel like the yeah, like because folk was probably like all those like Greenwich Village beatnik kind of kids. There's probably a reason why they called the National Garden. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. Let's be real. Yeah, There's yeah. probably people literally like dancing at their seats, and they're like, "We gotta fucking bring out the fire hose. They're it's out like, of control. Yeah, we need for to real." <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that's probably the fucking. Case. I know. Man. Also, the same year at Newport, this uh, devil music gets them all worked up. It's like, come on. Just a shout out to another live record from the same year, uh, Nina's. Nina oh, Simone's yeah. live at Newport is um, mm -hmm. the same festival as right. Muddy Waters one. Also a whew, top yeah. tier performance. I love Nina Simone. Uh, that live, mm -hmm. the, uh, live at Newport is one of my favorites from her. But this Muddy yeah. set is so good. It's probably yeah. one of the best. If you're new to Muddy Waters, this mm -hmm. is the first thing I would listen to. It's yeah. got every, almost every great song he's done. Uh, Baby, Please Don't Go. Um, you know, even... you. You know, like them would cover it later, but this is like this is where everybody heard this version from. Yeah. So it has a nice crisp sound too for 1960. You think of blues and you think of that like, <laughs> like yeah, right, right, sound, right. It sounds it like sounds it's in so recorded great. in like a can. Yeah, like it a, sounds yeah. so good. The, yeah, you you are also correct yeah. in the fidelity of this recording mm -hmm. is top tier. Yeah, 
It is, and and uh, to this point too, I can't think of another recording of a blues artist from this time period that is a better document of what blues really sounded like live in the moment at yeah. that time. Oh, absolutely. I, this is uh, there's no other document I think that covers what this kind of music did. So yeah, and it's 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 kind of like defining what like Chicago blues would turn into because mm-hmm. Delta blues is so different. Delta right. blues is so you know you think Sun House, Robert Johnson. Uh, Charlie Patton, right? Yeah. Uh, and this is it's interesting because he, Muddy Waters is is part of that lineage, uh, and came from the Delta stuff, but then kind of reinvented it in a way when he would go and you know team up with uh, Willie Dixon and that whole crew, that whole Chess Records crew. Uh, and then it's interesting to just see the natural evolution of like it goes from that, and then it goes to like you know, electric mud where things kind of get like psychedelic and stuff and like changing with the times. But, um, but yeah, so there's my, my first pick muddy waters live at Newport 1970. Yeah. I don't, I think I'm not, I'm not a big blues guy and I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite Mm. live records. Uh, and I completely forgot they existed. So Mm. it was a good one. Yeah. Thank you, Jeffrey. Um, my first one is a soul record from, I think it came out in 1972. It was recorded at the end of 1971 by Donny Hathaway. It's Donny Hathaway's Live. Uh, it was recorded the first, it's eight tracks. The first four are from a show at the Troubadour in Los Angeles. The, the other four are from a show at a place called The Bitter End, which is in a, was a venue in Manhattan. Uh, a killer band, some background on Donny Hathaway. Donny Hathaway was like one of those bright burning stars that just like, I actually think he died when he was my age, when he was like 33 or 34. He uh, he basically put out he put out two studio albums. He put out this live album. He put out one more studio album. And then he, like four years later, he jumped out of a 15th store window having like a psychi- uh, schizophrenic episode. Um, so a sad story, but like a true soul legend, just an incredible voice like his voice is something that's like if Stevie wonder had even more control and like more like sexiness in his voice. Cause the cool thing about Donny Hathaway's voice I like is that his low notes are really like his lowest note is like what my speaking voice is right now. Mm-hmm. So he like sings and it's like very like, like an alto sings it like very breathy on his low notes. Um, but he just has this great crystalline, perfect voice. Uh, I love his voice and it's a killer lineup, killer band. Um, 16-year-old Fred White on drums, who is the younger brother of Maurice and Verdine White from Earth, Wind & Fire. So Fred White, like five years after this was made, he joined his brothers and played in Earth, Wind & Fire. Um, Willie Weeks on bass, who is Eric Clapton's longtime bass player, and he played with everybody. Um, Phil Upchurch is the lead guitarist on the Troubadour set. Uh, Cornell Dupree's lead guitarist on the Bitter End set. Uh, Cornell Dupree played with Aretha Franklin and everybody. Uh, Mike Howard plays rhythm guitar on both sets. Uh, Earl DeRoyne, who was one of the one of Donny Hathaway's co-writers for his songs, plays congas and other percussion, which is cool because there's a song on the first half where like the band stretches out and there's like a four-minute percussion solo, which I love. Um, and Donny Hathaway playing keyboards, just a great, great singing voice, but an, also an incredible keyboard player. Yeah. And playing my, my favorite keyboard of all time, which is the Wurlitzer electric piano. Um, he does play a little organ, a little bit of acoustic piano on some songs too, but he's pounding that Wurlitzer, which is, it's that piano that's made famous on like Ray Charles' What I Say, um, 
it just has this great attack. Like the Rhodes is that bell like sound, that Stevie Wonder sound, and then the Wurlitzer is that more like barky, bitey, mm-hmm. pounding out sound. Um, I love it. Like crazy overtones on that piano. And he just has this whole band is like straight up like all jazz chops, like I'm sure played in in church bands since they were five years old type of players. So they're playing out of their minds. Uh, The set is a lot of covers, which is kind of a thing that we see with a lot of live albums. A lot of people do a lot of covers. So really, I think out of the eight songs, there's, I think four of them are his originals and the other four are probably covers. He covers You've Got a Friend by Carole King. And it's great because like the thing I love about this record is the audience is like the other part of the band. Yeah. Because he goes into the choruses of these songs and you got like 80, 90, 100, 200 people singing three-part harmonies. Oh, I'll give you goosebumps, it's awesome. man. It's awesome. It's I, I, yeah. Especially in You Got a Friend, like, yeah. I, it just, like, it, awesome. I started, like, tearing up because yeah. I'm just like, this is so incredible. Like, yeah. it just shows you the power of music and yeah. song, man. It's just so incredible. For, for me, the audience on here is my favorite in uh, Talking About the Ghetto. Right. Um, where at the end, mm. he has the, the females go, like, Talking About the Ghetto. And they keep doing it, yeah. and then the, all the guys are going like the ghetto, and then they go back and forth, yeah. and it creates this crazy like. And then he starts that piano solo, where he's yeah. like da 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 da, and they're still doing it in the background. It yeah. is one of the coolest things I ever heard. Ever. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great track. That the ghetto is the one where Earl DeRoyn stretches out on the congas and shit in the middle, and then yeah, they bring in the call response at the end and. Oh my! It's like Ugh. what a great song. Yeah. It's such like a gro- It's such a groovy song. Yeah. It's so like the groove in that song, just yeah. the do, 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 like just all the way through, mm. and so pulsing. And uh, I love that song. It's probably my favorite on the record. And at first, because it's like fourteen minutes long or whatever, yeah. I wouldn't like play it as much. Mm. But it's so rewarding once you get like mm. all the way oh, through yeah. it. Oh, it's so good. I love it. Uh, I mean, we've talked about it before, but like in the beginning of what's going on, yeah, when you girl. hear the girl just shout. She's like, what's going on? And I'm just like, yes. <laughs> like it just, it makes me so happy. Yeah, like, cause she, that song is already so right. like, she shouts oh it my like, God, it's so heavy. You she know? shouts it like two times. Mm. Yeah. Like you hear it once, like when it's like kicking in, she like knows what it is. And then the band kicks in again and she screams it again. She's like, what's going on? Yeah. yeah. It's so good. And both venues. I know the Troubadour is like a capacity of about 500 people. I I think the Bitter End was a similar size venue, but I love that type of space because it's still so intimate and like everybody who's there was like a diehard fan type yeah. of crowd. Yeah. Um, and like I said, man, the band is just playing their asses off and it's just groove. It's just soul music. It's yeah. just playing to the song. It's like letting the thing shine that needs to shine. It's like when the vocals are going, just support the vocals. When you're going off on a bass solo, just leave it fucking alone. Let him do his thing. Right. Right. To say too, that these are like master musicians. It's like the, the other point too, is like you said, a lot of covers on this record and you know, a lot of like, you're going to cover Marvin Gaye's what's going on. One of the most powerful songs of all time. And then you think, oh, someone's going to cover it. Well, it's not going to be nearly as impactful. Mm-hmm. And that is where, like, this album, I think, is the real mind blower because he takes what's going on and just makes and just takes all of it. And it, I never even think of, like, what is this better than Marvin Gaye or not? I'm just mm-hmm. like, this is completely a great statement of the song and it holds on its own. Yeah. Same with, like, Lennon's Jealous Guy. Oh, um, yeah. it just it, He's a master in song interpreting on this mm-hmm. record. It, it, it Never once when you're listening to it are you pining then to listen to the original. The it after effect happens where you're yeah. just like, 
I don't think I could ever listen to the original again without thinking of Donny Hathaway just killing every yeah. cover on this record. Yeah, That's what's guys. so masterful about it. Yeah. That's like my favorite, maybe my favorite live vocal performance that I've ever heard is his version of Jealous Guy. Like yeah. the runs he does yeah. are just, yeah, it's, it's a great record. Um, and I'm going to just put it out there for all the real music nerds out there. Willie Weeks, the last track, what's the last one called? Voices Inside, Everything is Everything. He does like a three and a half minute bass solo. I'm telling you people, what kind of bass do you think he was playing? P bass. P bass. What kind of strings? Do you, what kind of strings do you think he was using? I want to say flat wounds. Yes. Okay. There's a reason why. There's a reason why bass players need to get on the train of like the bass sound from 1965 to 1973 yeah. is the best fucking bass sound that's ever been captured yeah, anywhere. Man. And alive from the you know from the mixing console sounds so beautiful. And yeah. Willie Weeks just tearing up also too. He does some shit on that. He's doing some septuplet shit, which is just like like I can't even mouth it as fast as yeah, he played. Right, right. It's like holy crap. Um, but yeah, just monster grooves, just deep, 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 deep soul sound, and yeah, just beautiful. I, I, I could, I could talk an hour about just the piano playing, just the because like on Jealous Guy, he's doing the like like all the trills with like the octave stuff it's so cool sounding and uh on everything is everything it's like he starts off and it's like two minutes of Wurlitzer him doing fucking whatever while they vamp and then they do a little turn on ahead and then hands it off to Mike Howard for a guitar thing for a minute and a half then hands it off to Cornell Dupree for two minutes then goes to Willie Weeks and it's just like around the band and that's just yeah it's great yeah yeah, I love yeah. it. Great so, choice. Some of my favorite drum fills ever on this record yeah. as well. And like, simple. Especially in yeah. like what's going on. Yeah. Where they're doing like the 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 stops at the end, like the Oh, it's so so hot. Everything is just it but it's all tasteful too, you know? It's like nobody's like Nobody's stepping on anybody's toes Right, right. Everybody's just serving the the song. It's not about like, oh look what I can do. I don't even know if it's serving the song, it's just serving the groove of it. You know what I mean? It's just all locked in such a great groove. Yeah. Yeah, I saw this um uh, I'm not going to remember, but it's he, uh, Dennis Chambers, a drummer who played for Parliament in the late 70s days of Parliament. Um, he has a video on Drumio that I actually saw this morning. And it's like so perfectly said where he's like, I know. you are playing the name on the marquee is what people are there to see. Like, yeah, Donnie Hathaway live. It's not fucking Phil Church up church live. It's not Willie Weeks live. It's like right. you'll get your moments. We like promise you'll get your moments. Pete, if you're on stage, someone's going to be looking at you at some point. But like. It's about the main artist. It's about the songs. Yeah, you know? yeah. He's, right. He, I watched that this morning <laughs> as well. And uh, what did he say? He said the most at the end. The most important part is that you're listening to everybody yeah. else. That's yeah. it. Just listening to everybody else. Yeah. So great, nice. great pick. One of my faves. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say uh, a good segue. Or I mean, we're talking about like masters of covers. Mm. Luke, one of the albums that you picked, I think, showcases somebody oh, who yeah. is a master in terms oh, of. Yes. In terms of covers, mm. 
Yes, uh, Mad Dog's an Englishman. Uh, <laughs> Joe Joe Cocker. Joe Cocker, man, so good. What would you do if I say Mike's here having convulsions? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I really the only reason this one really came into my consciousness is because I pulled it off the shelf the other day to give it a spin and ended up like enjoying it way more than oh, I thought it's I would. So amazing. Do you man. have the like deluxe where it's like because nah. that's what I listen to streaming. I'm like. This is awesome. Man. Yeah, it's like, that's incredible. It's like an hour and a half or whatever. Yeah, and the, from what I understand, like I did listen to the deluxe, but yeah. I only got the original. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I have the original on vinyl, but yeah, the uh, on Spotify. Yeah, I found the deluxe, and like the word word around the campfire from from doing the research, you know, was like artists were almost afraid to hear that Joe Cocker was going to cover their songs because they're like, fucking great. Now he's going to like kill it. And now that's going to be like the known version of the song, you know? Well, before we get too far into this too, let's talk about who put this band together because I think that's the most important part about (laughs) this band. The Mad Hatter himself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Leon Russell. Dude. Okay. So Joe uh, Joe Cocker's in LA and he's like, oh man, uh, there could be a really good tour right now if I could get a band together. Um, Sesame musician um, Leon Russell hears this and goes, oh, I got this, and pretty much assembles <laughs> one of the greatest bands that has ever existed yeah. um, of all time. I think um, – let me just get an official who's on this, but um, I know Bobby Key's on saxophone. Yep. Um, I think Jim Keltner is on drums, right? Keltner and Jim Gordon. Gordon, yes. Swap so you got, around. And there's a third guy. I don't know the third guy's name. Yeah, I don't know yeah. the third guy's name either. But <laughs> Jim Gordon and Jim Keltner, uh, both so yeah. amazing session drummers. Yeah. Um, so you got them. Uh, I said Bobby Keys. Uh, Rita Coolidge is in uh, the background vocals. Yep. Um, obviously, you have Russell playing electric guitar and piano. Uh, who else is in this uh, band? Jim Price is on, on trumpets. Yep. Who played in uh, Sticky Fingers, Exile Main Street. Carl Rattle from Layla. Uh, Derek oh, and the Dominoes. Yep. He plays bass. Yep. Yeah, I mean, this is this is an incredible lineup. And I, I, the thing I Jim like... Jim Horn on sax. Um... The, the just the 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 power of like the background vocals too. Like there's that's just the these part. moments where they're yeah, like, that's the best part. Ah, and they're doing these crazy harmonies and stuff too. Like it's just it's so powerful. Claudia Lanier, man. shout out, a former Ike at like a huge crush. Just like oh my gosh, yeah, <laughs> beautiful, great soulful voice, great dancer with the fucking go go mini dresses. She was one of Tina Turner's girls. Uh, she sings backup. Yeah, but yeah, I think it's I think it's seven or eight people. It is like it's listed as a choir, and it really is a choir. Like right. on every chorus, it's because it's like two or three other guy singers too, and it's like three, four part armies on every fucking song. It's yeah. so good sounding. I mean, probably one of the first times a band like this had been ever assembled in the rock and roll canon, and so powerful with like, such a ma- especially such a massive uh, backup vocal group. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, usually the it's what like two or three backup vocalists, like. But to have yeah, this yeah. this large of a of a backing a backing vocal group. Different like, times though, man, because like now people are about the jobs, people about the money. Back then it was like, we're here for the fucking good times, yeah. man. Yeah. Give us give us a couple doses, a couple of brewskis, we'll yeah. fucking sing all night, man. You <laughs> yeah, want us to record right. it tomorrow night too? Like yeah. fuck and it. and this band was assembled three in three weeks. And <laughs> so that's the other like, I, right? Think crazy about that. thing mm-hmm. about it is this like one of the best bands to ever like be recorded was assembled in three weeks, mm-hmm. did one tour, and yeah. then never got together ever again. My revelation yeah. on this was I didn't realize Leon 
I I didn't realize Leon Russell played guitar. Nor did I realize he he like plays, plays guitar. guitar. He plays guitar. He's the lead guitarist on this whole fucking thing. Yeah. And he jumps on keys on maybe a quarter of the songs. But um, yeah. And Joe Joe Cocker to me is like you like you said where it's oh man it's he's gonna take this song and now people are only gonna hear him on it because he's like the best version of like the top notch cover karaoke like could sing anything and make yeah. his own type of thing. So for that yeah. fact, seeing that the set is mostly like covers, yeah. what what tunes did you love that like he transforms? I I loved I loved his version of Honky Tonk Woman. <laughs> I think like the way that he kind of switched up the feel of it a little bit, like the beat of it and everything. Like I love that. Uh, and then. Um, Obviously, like the letter is probably like my favorite tune on this because it's just like, especially in the middle, there's that break like, my baby wrote me a letter. Ah! He's like, my baby wrote me. Like, it's just so powerful. Yeah, you guys are talking about the chorus. That's probably my favorite part of Mm -hmm. the chorus and the whole thing where they're chanting, my baby wrote me the letter. And then the drums are just like, and then the band kicks back in, and they're still chanting bow, it on the bow, off rhythm. Bow, 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 bow. So like, powerful. Yeah. Um, I like his, his version of Crime Your... Uh, is it Crime Your River? Yes. Because yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm a big jazz guy, yeah, and so uh, like, that's a standard. The original is uh, Julie, Julie London. Julie London. Yeah. And mm. so I was only familiar with this version. Went back and listened oh, to that. Okay. And then went, wow, they really took yeah. this song and made it completely their own. And again, the chorus where everybody's singing Cry Me a River mm-hmm. and Joe is just like screaming like, Cry Me a River! Like, it's yeah. just so in- just insane. Sweat, sweat. Oh, great thing too. Because this is a lot, we're talking live albums, but on a couple of these, you're able to find video of it. And the video of this is great because it's in that, it's 1970s, so they're like, oh man, we got to make things weird. So there's, there's times where it's three panels of shit going on, so you can like watch like, all these camera angles simultaneously. It's like awesome. Woodstock. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, that's what I did. I I listened to the whole thing, but then I went on YouTube and I probably listened to like maybe a third or a half of the whole set, and it's yeah. it's awesome. Like let's, it just let's also shout out the uh, the Fillmore. This is the uh, right, recorded right. live at the Fillmore East. Yeah, but how many goddamn great records were recorded yeah. at the Fillmore East and West? Mm. So I'm, many. Yeah, I mean, like if you think about it. When we were, you know, because we we talk about what we're gonna, what what albums we were gonna suggest and everything, and there was a couple. I mean, we did five. We're only covering three today, but we, we covered we did five each, and a lot of them were at almost, the Fillmore. Right. Like, I counted as well. Almost half of them that we threw out there were fr- recorded from Fillmore sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, man. So, uh, but yeah, I, Joe Cocker, just incredible talent. Yeah, tragic story. And. uh just Leon Russell for putting together just one of the best mm-hmm. bands of all time and being one of the most shadowy figures in rock and roll. So it's just the thing for me the with Carney himself with mm-hmm. Joe Cocker. It just sounds like he's just shredding his vocal cords <laughs> yeah. every single song. Like you think to yourself, you're like, how is he just not blowing is he his still voice? Out? He's, he's no, he passed away he passed a couple years away. back. Yeah. Other song on here that's crazy. That I just want to shout out is uh, "Let's Go Get Stone." Right, Ray one Charles. of the best. Yeah, like the Ray yeah. Charles cover on uh, "Crying Time." He does that right. record uh, song. What a great song! And uh, yeah. shout out to Bobby Keys on sax mm. on that one. Yeah, um, so good. What a great sax solo on the deluxe. I think it's only on the deluxe, but the the band song "The Weight." Yes, his version of that's great too. It's like every <laughs> fucking cover, and then the obvious one with a little help from my friends, like that one is Even, you know. Uh, oh God, feeling all right on Feel, here. Yeah, feeling all right. Yeah, the piano. Don't 
That's my favorite Joe Cocker song. Period. Yeah, yeah, man. He yeah. was feeling pretty good himself. I loved it. Great. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. It was my choice, but whatever. It's yeah, such a great record. It's, it is, man. It's so good. Yeah, and it's just like, in a way, you listen to all of it, and they all, the I, the fact that the band came together that soon to the show is very just, it just shows you, man, the power of music and power of people on the same page and like with the same goal and like, because the sound is so congruousive, congruous. I'm bad with vocab today. Um, <laughs> but it's just like every song has kind of the same flavor, but different arrangements. Like they're all very particular arrangements, like with different horn blasts, different drum fills, yeah. and different things. Yes. And so it's all worked out in advance, but it still sounds so organic and like made up. Almost. Well, I, I, yeah, because I think it that it talks to the uh, the like on the spot spontaneity of the band and mm. everybody just throwing out the best thing they had in the moment. Um, because like, you know, I think it's like everything in life when you work on it too much, it has the, 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 to turn the dust in your hands, you know what I mean? Or it just falls apart and turns to shit when you like work on it too much. Like when it's too, uh, thought about, it's that in the yeah, moment yeah. thing where it's like that, that's where the gold spot is. You know, we talk about that a lot on the show. Yeah. Also shout out to the lady who's like dressed like a giant baby and she like jumps on stage and she like starts <laughs> just like dancing around and giving everybody kisses and shit. <laughs> You're just like. All right, 1970. Strange times, baby. Strange times. 1970. She call. came in to the bathroom. No. <laughs> she, she definitely didn't have a ticket for that show. No. <laughs> she only had a ticket to ride. Yeah. Uh, great. Yeah, man. Great choice. Um, so for my second pick, I... Uh, well, well, well d- look, we, Oh, wait. We, Jeff just threw one out. I was like, wait, Jeff hasn't done one yet. No, I did one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. One. All right, so throw one out. Throw one out. Uh, was the live album, uh, Fela Kuti, with uh, Ginger Baker. Um, I... This album rocks, man. Like, it's so incredible. So uh, where is this one live from, Michael? It is live from, let me take a look Oh, I here. know where it's live from. Live from Aberdy Road Studio in London uh, with a special live group of the who's who and tastemakers wow. of London at the time. Interesting. So, th- yeah. Yeah, and Tony Allen on drums. To- yeah, right? Hack. Hack, <laughs> who like R. I R. mean, he died last year. He's like probably the best drummer who ever came out of Africa. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, and at the end, it's like it's there's a great track at the end where it's Ginger Baker and Tony Allen just like riffing off of each other on drums. Like yeah. it's amazing. I mean, all right, Ginger Baker. That one track, to, you know, we gotta state that one track was recorded like seven eight years later at a festival that they did. Oh, that wasn't was. from the same session. Oh, yeah. okay, good. The to know. sixteen yeah, minute yeah. drum thing was from like a nineteen seventy eight like. Um, yeah, Berlin Jazz Festival or something. Yeah, yeah, and just listening to this album, it's interesting because like I listened to it and it definitely gave me vibes of like it was reminiscent of like uh, like an African James Brown. Oh, that's who he is. You yeah. know, like yeah. yeah, it was just so powerful, so amazing. Um, I think there's one part in uh, which track was it? Uh, Yee Yee D Smell. Where like he, that's where I think he bring he brings Ginger Baker out, and he's like something about like this is this is like a thing that you tell somebody if you like think they smell or something like that. He's like not that I think Ginger Baker smells, but this is something <laughs> I tell Ginger Baker like he smells like it was some something funny like that. But yeah, it's just interesting, um, just an interesting album all the way around. But I just I I love those I love those rhythms. I just think everything about this album, like I was listening to it, man. And I just, I couldn't help but like dance. Like it just made me just want to like move. You know what I mean? I'm like rocking back and forth and just like rocking out to the music. Like I love it. Uh, So again, like 
I so when I've listened to this record over and over again, you know, now that I know it was recorded really in in a recording studio with a live audience in the studio. But um, so the beginning of this album where he goes, uh, he gives the title of the name um, in his language and then goes, this really means uh, let's come into the room to do what we, you know, came yeah. into the room to do. Right. And he's very timid. And then the band kicks in so hot and on fire. And again, not like a hostile crowd, but a crowd that doesn't know what they're about to step into. And as the singer of the band, I feel like Fila Kute knows that they don't know what's about to happen in this room. Yeah. And so he gives a very timid in introduction. And then as soon as the band kicks in, dun, 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 dun. It's, the, it's one of the hardest hitting horn lines yeah. in, in drums I've ever heard in my life. And it just is so pounding and abrasive, and I almost imagine, you know, I don't know what happened in the room, but I figure almost everybody in the room was like, "Whoa!" Right? Because you're this is like, I mean, you had loud, heavy music at the time, but you didn't have that this intense locked groove rhythm right. at, uh, you know, and the horn lines that were just so like fire you know in your face. Yeah, I think the surprise would have been because this was 1971. It was recorded. 70 or 71 but um yeah so yeah, this is like 71 james brown has now been doing like funk funk shit for like five years ish but i think it was probably bringing guys from africa so one they're thinking these are people folk people like uneducated like unknowledgeable people so they're they, the crowd is probably expecting some kind of like mild-mannered like drum circle shit and it's like no nah, man this is a yeah. big band fucking dance party show like right like you said he was a james brown of africa Niger, you know, Nigeria is where they were located, but huge, huge band um, and great players. Ego Chico on t uh, tenor sax. The second track, Black Man's Cry, has this ripping sax solo. Um, and Tony, if if you're here for the record for Ginger Al, uh, Ginger Baker, you're not there for the right thing because Ginger Baker only plays on two of the four tracks that recorded. And he's also yeah. the weakest part of this recording. <laughs> I think he adds. Yeah, I'm not a huge Ginger Baker guy. He adds his own thing. I think it's supported by the fact that on every song, there's like five or six other percussionists listed in the liner notes. So I think they had like a whole fucking cotillion of people playing. Right. Yes. So and he's I, doing his like doodle 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 type of yeah, stuff. Yeah, but on I mean, tracks. And, but, and not to say that it makes the music bad at any point. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying like the caliber of musicianship in Filakute's band, like they didn't yeah. need it. Nobody he was hopping into it. a new world yes. trying to digest what they were doing. And oh, to be fair too, one of the only reasons I get into Fila Kute to begin with is because Ginger Baker's name is on sure. this record. So right, well, and that's what led, that. yeah, that's what led yeah. me to this album too. But uh, and just just for people who don't know, Africa Seventy is mm -hmm. the is the name of the of Fila Kuti's band. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard, you know. Ginger Baker, you know, a good drummer in his own right, but you know, next to Tony Allen, you can't. Re you're just kind of like, yeah, man, like Tony's kind of the guy, you know. Yeah, and, <laughs> like, and you can't really. Tony Allen is just like, it's just about the pocket, and it's just about the groove, and it's just about keeping it going because yeah. all the other percussion shit is doing all the flair. He's just keeping it the train trucking. Yeah, locked. Yeah, just locked groove. Like. Yeah. yeah, and I just I yeah. I just think it's just such a such a a good flavor for the time too. You know, I mean, you figure 1970, like it's all about like the acid rock and the Zeppelins yeah. and the this and the that, you know. Mm -hmm. And then like to have this type of a band be happening at the same time, like it's just like it's just uh, it's yeah, it's a great album. I love it. 
Yeah, yeah. So that that time in, there's three dudes worldwide. Everybody needs to listen to more of James Brown, Bob Marley, Fela Kuti. Yeah. It covers especially the black experience in the world, like those three viewpoints and those three musical tastes. If you like make a fucking Venn diagram, they all overlap. They all share things, but they all are so wildly different. Yeah. And the fact that Fela too was like, you know, I mean, we have the art, you know, and then you have the artist. Like he was also, he was for Pan-Africanism. He was an activist in his own right. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like music, music was just, was just a part of the message Mm -hmm. and a part of like the man, you know what I mean? But like there was, he was trying to make bigger things happen. Like, and like you said, even with, uh, um, with Bob Marley too, equally as much, like he was, a he was a voice for, you know, for people. So, you know, especially that Pan-African idea, like there's a lot of Fela Kuti quotes about, yeah, this is dance music, but like where I'm from, this is like, we have to dance to music or else we are going to like, we're living the most miserable existence and the hard, hardest lives. And like, yeah, this, we're not singing about good times because we have free time to sing about good times. We're singing about good times because we need that outlet in right. these hard lives we're living. Yeah. Like it was, it, it, that was his way of being political and being um, like uh, a rebel and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. And, and like, that was well, very well said. Like I was, yeah. Like when I was saying, like they're in Avity Road, and mm. then like, you know, not only is this music hard, but I was trying to say, like, you know, articulate that it's real shit they're talking mm. about. Right. You know what I mean? Right, so like, right. not only is he hitting you with like the some of the funkiest music ever made, but like he's talking about real shit before he like lays it down. Yeah. Too, which adds like a whole nother weight to whatever you're doing. And like mm. you said like adding Bob in that statement of like artists that are just like, you know, pushing this thing. Yeah. It's, it's not just music. It's music with, um, it's well, there's substance. Yeah. There's substance. Yeah. That, my favorite track is that second one, black man's cry. Yeah. yeah. And he starts off with a little bit of preamble talking about it. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great right stuff. On. Fela Kuti, man. Jeffrey. Nasty. Pick number two. Um, my second pick is, uh, from 1994, it is Jeff Buckley's Live at Chennai. Um, there, it was released originally as an EP, which was maybe like four tracks, but yeah, um, it was four. 10, 15, 20 years ago, something like that, they released the full version of his shows he did in late 1990, uh, oh, 1993, recorded in late uh, mid-1993. So if you listen to the Legacy Edition on streaming services, it's like uh, an hour and 45 minutes or oh, two and a half two, hours. It's two and yeah, a half two hours. And a half hours. Um, but it's like, it's just. <laughs> Trust me, I, I listened. It, me too. It's it's a live performance that is just, um, it's like they just, there is some editing and there's some shuffling of some tracks you can tell. But for the most part, it's a lot of just letting the tape run. And yeah. he, the songs he does for the most part are like eight, nine, 10 minute versions of songs. Because he's a great singer, he's a great guitar player, and it's just him on guitar. It's him standing in Chennai, which was a coffee shop in New York City. I assume there were like 30 people in the crowd there. Yeah. And he had a weekly thing there on like a Monday night or whatever. And he's just like standing against a wall playing his Telecaster and singing. And he covers such a wide variety of songs. He covers some classic jazz standards he covers some french folk songs he covers some bob dylan some van morrison's led zeppelin nina simone he does out i think there's maybe 20 song songs there's a lot of interludes in between songs but he only does i think five originals 
Um, but it's just like if you want to listen to one guy do a solo set, this is like what I would highly recommend because he he just lays it all bare and he, it's so beautiful and emotional and um, like alive. And we talked earlier before recording, but like it's dead silent. He's doing a lot of these songs are not big numbers. They're low energy, just pretty songs. And it's captivating. Yeah. And then he does have these times where, cause he had such an expressive voice and such an expressive guitar player where he does these big moments too. Like he does the opener is a song called, um, be your husband and it's just acapella it's just him singing and clapping it's just testing the mic and it's fucking wild man <laughs> it's so good it's wild it's so good it's like a it's like a six verse song and it's just like an old field like gospel song and um he covers a song by a sufi singer from pakistan nusrat fatah ali khan um so he's playing these like droning open chords and he's doing the like ah, yeah like that type of singing yeah. for like a seven minute song and it's, it sounds pitch perfect and like he I love the interludes the spoken monologues that's what they're listening to as in between yeah. songs because this is for the grunge people yeah he's so funny like he does this whole before he does the Nusrat um, a Pakistani song he does this like three minute thing talk about how much because a guy in the audience is like do one of those songs because he heard him do it like two weeks ago or whatever. Yeah. He's like, and he's like, which one you want me to do? And he goes on this tangent about how that guy's like his favorite singer ever. And he yeah. gives a little a demo of a couple songs and they bust into one. And um, he just has a lot. Of, there's a lot of funny human moments. Like when he asks for more reverb on the mic. Yeah. And he's like, I want Jim Morrison level. And then he just yeah. impromptu just starts playing the end and yeah, making man. up words to it. And he does like people come in late and he, he sings like a musical chairs song to, for them to find a seat. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just really funny. It's him saying good night to people. Like someone walks out, he's like, all right, see you, Jim. <laughs> or like, yeah. yeah. Um, he compliments a guy in his shoes. Yeah. It's, and it's just, nice boots, man. it's like, again, just like John, Donny Hathaway, Jeff Buckley put out one solo album, Grace in 1994. He was working on a second one, which they did posthumously. It's called sketches for my sweetheart, the drunk. Um, but he just died accidental drowning when he was 30 years old. And so like all the world has is like this live album, his one studio album and like some shit that they cobbled together after he died. Yeah. And it's all him, man. He has like a four octave vocal range. He could play everything on guitar. He, he does strange fruit, um, which was covered famously by Nia Simone. And he does all these beautiful blues licks in it. He plays this finger style stuff. That's crazy. He does his version of hallelujah is a closer on this. And he starts it off with like a minute and a half guitar, like counterpoint finger style, like beautiful thing. There's so many times on this album that you're like, it sounds like there's at least two guitars playing because yeah. he's just such an accomplished player. Um, but yeah, I've, I've dug this album since I first heard it when I was like 18, um, when I was in college and yeah, it's just like cuts you, man. It's, Powerful. Yeah, I think of all the albums on this list that we compiled, this was the one that I was like the least familiar with, mm. and the last one that I got to in terms mm. of like my my listening homework, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, and I was familiar with Hallelujah, and I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I'm gonna like this. And I listened to it, and I was like, oh my god, mm. like it was like earth shaking. Like I can't, I it. It's it's been a while since I've listened to an album that I felt like affected me in such an emotional way until I listened to this and I was like this is like really moving you know like we were talking about it before but um, 
lover, you uh, you should have come ho- uh, you should have come over. Like, there's a point in it where he's hitting the guitar so hard that it goes out of tune. But it's like you don't even care that it's out of tune. It just like adds to the like the mystique of the song and like, yeah, it's just so amazing, man. Like it and his like you were saying, man, his range is crazy and his vibrato and the. I mean, it's just like I was. I, yeah, I was completely like blown away by this album. It really moved me like and very intensely. It's just oh man, it's so incredible. And then to find out that he passed, it's just it made me so sad because you're just like ah. like. Do you even think like I'm sitting here listening to it and I'm thinking to myself like, do these people in the audience even know what they're witnessing? Like, <laughs> oh, they, do they even know what they're but, watching? Because it's like you listen to it now in retrospect and you're like. This is like a major musical historical moment. And like, I bet you the people who were there were just like, just out for a nice like Saturday night. No, and here's this nice I think, guy. I think everybody knew. Well, right. I, I, think, I think as think... soon as you walked in and heard it, because you would hear the cafe. There's no. This well, is you can cap- hear a pin drop. You, there's no noise. Nobody's right. clanking a cup. Right, right. Nobody's dropping anything. Yeah. You hear it maybe in between songs. Someone's shuffling. What I'm stuff, saying is, is I think that it, while the music is happening, I think there's prob- people are probably having that aha moment like, oh, shit, like yeah. this is serious. This is real. Like this is not just like some dude just like singing right. folk songs in a cafe like this dude's actually like legit. Like, put this in context in your life, too. So like we all know, I mean, like everybody knows that Jeff Buckley's a, you know, a huge musical person mm-hmm. in the world now. But this would be like you walking into your local coffee or bar and there's a musician just sitting there playing. And then, like, it just so happens that that musician is one of the most talented people that's ever yeah. been on this earth, which yeah. is, like, that is the mind-blowing thing yeah. about this set. And it's recorded, both sets. Mm. Um, but, yeah, like you were saying, like, the original he does in the first set, the original tunes are pretty much all stacked up mm. uh, up, up top. And then he starts yeah. kind of free-flowing. Mm. Uh, one of my favorites on here is um, his version of Just Like a Woman. Oh, yeah. oh my god it's so great it's like seven minutes long um and what an interpretation um because i mean if you're i get that i'm a bob dylan fan but um i get like the number one thing that people don't like about dylan is his voice so if you get to hear it masterfully done by somebody that's one of the you know best singers of all time this is that version and you should like listen to it and give it a shot because it's yeah. like the just his take on everything it's and the thing is too is yeah. he'll start and then you're you're just kind of listening, and without you really realizing it, you'll be just so took and overcome with emotion that you can't even really. I mean, for me, I can't like control it. You'll you're just like, and you wonder if he knows. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That it's just that it's so powerful because he'll just bring his voice up somewhere, and you and I, you just picture like I bet you he's just eyes closed, not yeah. looking at anybody, in some complete zone of just. Yeah musical bliss that's what mm. this is for me and just a guitar and voice that's yeah. the create an electric guitar at that which most yeah, people right. don't do most people yeah. don't sing j- with just an electric guitar yeah it's incredibly hard to do yeah because you feel kind of really naked well yeah because i think the acoustic guitar you can ri- rely on like because you can kind of get that like chicka chicka like rhythm kind of thing with an acoustic guitar mm. not that you can't get that with an electric but it's just not it's kind of not the same thing you know but to just yeah have just just vocal and an electric guitar like incredible and like what about like too like we talked about some of the more sensitive moments on here but like let's just talk about like the zeppelin cover where yeah. he puts robert plant to so like if you were just like can you imagine jeff buckley just fronting zeppelin for a day it would have been amazing. Yeah. It would have been absolutely just because he really sings the shit out of that song. I know song. Jimmy, yeah. pa- Jimmy Page said that 
it was his favorite album of the '90s. I think was was Jeff Buckley's Grace album. And then David Bowie also said it would be, it would be one of the ten albums he would take with him on a desert island. Yeah. Huh? So like, I mean, that's something. Yeah, and just like, <laughs> just this the live set showcases how because his studio stuff is more controlled, but he has such like this natural warble, and his voice is so fragile, but then like powerful sounding. Like his dynamic range is unmatched. Like he goes from these whispered, beautiful falsetto things to these screaming, like like you said, Robert Plant. Yeah, in in the same run, like we'll start singing like in a whisper and go up super high, so powerful, and then bring the note all the way back down to the floor again, and you're just like, damn man. There's like like a 10 minute video on YouTube of of I don't think it was the set that was actually used for this recording, but it was from another night that he was at Shanae. And it just shows like it's a tiny coffee shop. They just like moved the table by the wall, ten feet away from the wall. And he's standing there. He's just there's no space. So he's his shoulders leaning against the wall, and he's just like playing and singing his heart out. And it's yeah, yeah. Mm. incredible. I'm glad I'm glad you listened to it because mm. like I, this yeah. would be something that you would never pick up on yourself. I yeah, think. no, I, for real though. Yeah, this I, hits I've, me so much. I I don't listen to this a lot because I went through a period of listening to a lot, and it's yeah, it's it's so immediately extremely emotional. So I don't get to it a lot. Well, I'm yeah, like, that's the I'm thing. like if I like, even touch into that water, I'm gonna be going deep on it. it that, well, I think that's a sign of good music though, yeah. in a way that where you're like you, like I listen to it and I'm like Mike, I'm thinking about my life. Yeah. Like I'm thinking about you know what I mean. Like you know, there's a difference. Like it's yeah. just on that level where you're like, I'm like really reflecting on things and it makes me think about a lot of stuff and contemplate things like and that is that's just a testament to, I think, just him as a talent and a yeah. musician, you know, so. Um, so, all right. Great well, pick. Great pick. Great pick. Let's uh, take a quick break yeah. and we will return with our last two picks. This podcast brought to you by Heinz Baked Beans. Heinz Baked Beans. Last Anchor. one pick. Last one La- pick. Oh, last one pick. Yeah, sorry. Heinz Baked Beans. <laughs> have you ever felt emotions? Then do we have the podcast for you. Feel Feelings is a weekly podcast where comedians Danny Getz and George Bruderman sit down with some of the funniest, emotionally distraught people, i.e. comedians, they know, and talk feelings. Every Friday, hear very funny people reminisce on Ren and Stimpy, worry about the Wizard of Oz, and emote over their emo phase. Check out Feel Feelings with Danny and George, a show about feelings and the things that make you feel them. And we are back. It takes five seconds. It takes five seconds. It takes five. five seconds. Are you ready to testify? <laughs> <laughs> Five seconds to decide. So, Luke. Yes. Last pick. Uh, kick out the jams. Motherfuckers! Brothers and sisters. Uh, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Depends on what copy you got. Brothers and sisters? Um, yeah, so we're goofy. going with the MC5's debut album, which was uh, recorded live at the Grand Ballroom in Detroit, Michigan. Detroit, boys. Um, and that's kick out the jams. Homecoming. The Motor City. Yeah. Yeah, the Motor City 5, as yeah. MC5 stands for. Um probably you know one of the most political bands of all time probably the yeah. first real political band mm-hmm. um you know uh in like rock, the rock canon not you know but um so anyway this band it's live uh the grand ballroom in detroit 
Um, it has the famous song "Kick Out the Jams." Um, it's got the great swear word "motherfucker" in it. If you've got the right uh, album, uh, yep. the edited version of that song, it goes "Kick Out the Jams." All the volume cuts out, and it goes "brothers and sisters," <laughs> and then the whole volume all comes back in. Um, so this was uh, released uh, February 1969, Electra Records. Um, and what really is is one of the greatest documents of proto-punk, mm. I think, that exists. Um, we were talking off mic, uh, Fred Sonic Smith on guitar, mm. um, really just you know shredding it up all over the place. It's very wild album. Um, singer um, Rob Turner, uh, Wayne uh, Kramer is the other guitar player. Uh, Michael Davis on bass, uh, Dennis Thompson on drums, and it's just such a raucous live document. Um, the opener, Ramblin' Rose, uh, is preceded by a political action uh, introduction where, you know, it, they lay it down instantly. So the hype man gets out there and says, you've got five seconds to decide what kind of person you want to be in your life. Do you want to be part of the problem or part of the solution? Part of the solution. And then he tells them uh, that this is going to be a testimonial of that kind of life ethos, and he gives you the MC5, who bust out uh, with the opening tune, Rambling Rose. Um, it's like a country cover. Yeah, it's down, 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 so, what I I don't know what makes this album great for me is it's uh, Detroit rock and roll, and yeah. I don't know. I mean, the Stooges did it pretty great, but like I don't think it ever got more better. And the message mm. of what Detroit rock and roll was all about yeah. at that time. Also, um, if you want to hear an extensive podcast on Detroit rock and roll, wow. we did one yes, <laughs> last year. Yes, we <laughs> so did. Check it out, Detroit Rock City. That's the episode. But yeah, this the sound is. Coming from Detroit, there's such a heavy soul influence, but this is just like supercharged, fast, fast, pounding rock and roll versions of soul songs, basically. Yeah, yeah it, which is which you're very right because you have the Detroit uh, influence, the Parliament funkadelic influence mm. um, from that area, and yeah, this is pretty much just hopped up um, yeah. soul music, mm. um, and that was really. Um, I was reading a funny article about. Um, actually, I read a really great article in the book. Um, Car- um, psychotic reactions and carburetor dung, the collected works of um, Lester Bangs, and he does a great article on race and the um, punk scene in the late seventies. Um, when he would state that he would put, um, you know, soul music on because that's where he, he was from, Detroit, yeah. to, at parties to dance, and punk people were completely opposed to this, and you know, gave a uh, you know racist you know kind of response a lot yeah. of the times. And he didn't he didn't understand at first that. They didn't have the uh, what he had growing up with that music and rock and roll in the same thing, right? Um, and mixing them together. Um, so I would actually, you know, check out that book and that article. It was a great read, uh, way ahead of its time, and describing a lot of the issues that are going on in uh, rock and roll and just music in general and life right now. So, but anyway, back to this MC5. It's got that great mix of it. Um, also, Starship, like the closer on this, the <laughs> yeah. epic. Burn down of yeah. just chaotic jamming. It's a Sun Ra. Like, yeah. Yep. Kind of written song. <laughs> it is a yeah. It's a take on a Sun Ra tune. Yeah. So you're also getting like that in there too. Um. You know, there's kind of like a lot of high I- ideological stuff going on, but then there's also like the um straight up just like you know let's if we're gonna you know change something we gotta burn it down. So it's mm. like that whole energy. It's just really chaotic and yeah. powerful, and you don't even really have to like um, agree with like the political anything just to get down to this record of like the fire of let's go do something, man. Yeah, and you I know? think 
uh, we've talked about this album before, but man, those that guitar tone—it just sounds like chainsaws, man. It, it's just so just like yeah, oh, Wayne like jarring yeah, and like uh, playing a more a more sick guitar. Yeah, that Johnny Ramone would go to play oh, later. Mazrite, right, Mazrite. Right. Right. Oh, that's yeah, how you pronounce sure. it. Uh, and he would play. Uh, Johnny Ramone only played that style guitar because that's what the MC5 had played, yeah. and that's like the only reason. Famous on the cover too. You can see a great shot of it. For for the genre of music, you would you would call rock R A W K. This is <laughs> this is the one, man. Like yeah, this I think this this live record is better than any studio album of any of those punk type American bands. Yeah. Absolutely, I, I just think it is. I I the the sonic quality is great. The energy is incredible. The songs are awesome. Uh, and like people think of punk or, you know, fast rock and roll music and they just think like people pounding out bullshit and just being loud and like that's the point. These dudes are actually like playing some a lot of musical stuff. Like it's not just noise. Right, it's, right. And it's good singing. Tyner, yeah. um, great singer, great front man. Oh, such a good front yeah. man. I so like just keeps you engaged the yeah, whole time. Right. Yeah. Um, did you guys also like feel when I listen to this record? I feel like like in the like the guitar, it almost feels like there's like bombs going off. Mm. Like that's what it sounds yeah. like to me. Just like straight up like yeah. uh, explosions. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of of you know that kind of vibe. Yeah. There's another. It's not. It's it's. I think it was in 1969. There's another like live. Uh, you can find it on YouTube, um, where they play like I think they play the same set list. Oh, but yeah, just to just that. to just to give you a point, you know, a reference point to actually like watch it, mm-hmm. you know, in this it's sort of in the similar way as to like how this would have happened. But like, it, you know, yeah, we were talking about just kind of like the, the like just the 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 um the presence of of all the members, like because Wayne Kramer, you know, is kind of like Mister Cool, Mister Collected, right? Or no, 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 I'm sorry. Sonic Fred, Smith is Sonic the Smith com, is the calm collected, yeah. and Wayne Kramer's doing these big like almost like Pete Townsendy windmill style things, and he's doing like the Chuck Berry like little hops and skips mm. back and forth, and he's doing a and you know and he's like playing a solo and he like gets down on his knees and like leans all the way back while he's playing and stuff like you know it's it's um you know they they're not just these stiffs who just stand up there and they're just kind of like ham you know hammering the music out like there's an energy there's a you know it's a sh- it is a show it's it's a spectacle to like yeah. to be witnessed you know so i i think the mc5 knew what a lot of great rock and roll bands know and is that you have to be playing for something like it's mm-hmm. the same thing we're talking about with like uh the, the a lot of these albums like the donny hathaway record um there's just a lot of you know what i mean they're playing yeah. for the song for the rhythm in this you're it's they're they're playing rock and roll with such great emotion and that's what makes rock yeah. and roll great it's you know it's the excitement yeah. of little richard saying good golly miss molly or you know some nonsense word that doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. and we all know what that means mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's yeah. that wabalua that thing right right and that's the essence of it it doesn't have to mean and we all know what it means without knowing what it, you don't have to say it. You right, know what I mean? Right. It's that kind of energy. It's something you feel rather than like understand intellectually. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just understand it down here versus up here. And that's why like in a punk setting, like the Chuck Berry riff still works because mm-hmm. it's got all the essence of that, the original, what it was. You know what I mean? Does that make any sense? Right? Yeah, I think so. I think that's why this album works for me. Yeah, I, I love this album. It's, been, it's It was a decade since I last listened to it. And, and yeah, it's going to be in my rotation a lot now. And it's the yeah. only good MC5. <laughs> yeah, record. I know. Because really, the next album yeah. is like kind of a letdown well, back in the USA. They recorded them like 
chit and yeah. all the energy gets sucked out of the room. Yeah. If the MC5 were the, uh, the live band, that's this is how you record them. It's the same with the yeah. Stooges Funhouse. It's you got to record it live, or it it's not. Yeah, it just takes away all the. Yeah, you know. And they were only around for like what four years or something. Oh, they were around a pretty long time. I'd say yeah. uh, sixty. 67 to oh, yeah. 72 but recording wise like, recorded yeah, is uh you know, 69 to three yeah three albums you got the first one yeah. kick out the jams you got um punch something about punch the clock and then uh, the other ones back in the usa mm. right? yeah they had a short little stint from t- 2003 to 2012 yeah, but it's uh, not that's, that's not them that's not them yeah. yeah it's like when the new york dolls get back together it's not really yeah you know yeah yeah Pe- but... dexter poindexter or whatever yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh Cool. Well, I don't forget David. I don't forget. Great, great pick. Uh, so I will follow you in that way of like more full charged rock and roll. Uh, my next pick is by the band Tin Lizzy. Uh, the album, the double live album, uh, Live and Dangerous. I'm glad someone picked a double live here because that's very. Uh, epic to my record collecting life right i mean i was gonna go like because we were talking about live albums jeff buckley's I, like a triple, <laughs> triple uh, yeah. so no, this, is, this is double live in that released it, in that in format. the vinyl yeah. sense right it, it right. was a thing right right and i and i saw you chose mc5 i was like well luke already went to troy i was gonna do i was thinking about maybe going for ted nugent double live guns <laughs> Bro, I love Double Wango, Live Gonzo. Like, oh I mean, God. but you know, it's the best Ted Nugent record. I've already, we've already talked it's like about Ted Nugent. It's the best smelling dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you saying? It really is, though. It really is. <laughs> it's a, it is really, really great. But, but Ted Nugent, a, 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 a Ted heavy Nugent topic that honorable, is, dishonorable mention. Dishonorable mention. I like to think of it as is like him or not. He's still your crazy Uncle Ted. <laughs> COVID victim. He's COVID victim. <laughs> Ted Nugent, it's still fake. Uh, so <laughs> let's move on. No, um, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, so Live and Dangerous, I love this album so much. Uh, it's the last one to feature Brian Robertson on guitar. Um, this album, listening to it, like, you know, 1978, it was released. But to, to my ears, I can definitely, like, there were moments when I was listening to this and I thought Iron Maiden. Just because, like the 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 heavy bass, the, like the really twin loud guitar bass, leads. the twin guitar. Thank you. Yes, the twin guitar leads. You know, what I was thinking. What were you thinking? One of my favorite bands, Shades of Def Leppard. Oh yeah, early Def Leppard. Right, late right. Seventies Def Leppard. Right, right. Well, Took that's a lot the, from this. That's the thing, though. Yeah, like that, and that's the thing that I love, and I love just the fact that like Philip uh, Lynott, uh as like the front man, a bass player as a front man. Like I always loved that too. Like, and I love his voice because it's so different. Mm. You know, um, his thumping his thumping bass lines are great. Um, you know, I like. A, a track where I think, especially like when you're talking about the the lead guitar lines, the dual guitar lines and stuff, the second song, Emerald, uh, is a great, great tune. Uh, but then, you know, then they do like, you know, Dancing in the Moonlight, you know, I mean... I love cowboy song. We were we were talking to uh, when we were on feel feelings. Like Dan, uh, I'm sorry, uh, George like dropped cowboy song as being like one of his favorite yeah. uh, Thin Lizzy songs. But yeah, for me, it's just. Thin Lizzy always just puts a smile on my face, and I and I love them. Uh, there's a bit of, you know, uh, 
where there are a lot of overdubs, where there are not a lot, not a lot of overdubs. Yeah. The the producer at the time, uh, Tony Visconti, said oh, that yeah. 75% of the album is overdubs, but the manager of Thin Lizzy said the complete opposite. 75% of this album is live because they needed to capture the real sound. Who knows at this point? Who cares? I'm going to go that it's overdubbed like crazy. I'm going to believe Tony Visconti. Yeah. I, I mean, because it sounds very crisp and clean. Also, yeah. Did you guys also notice, like, not to interrupt the talking of this album, but we pretty much picked albums that had no overdubs on them that were straight up live records. Uh, yeah. Donny Hathaway, I don't think there's any overdubs on that. Um, Cine, no overdubs. Uh, Manchester Hall, there's no overdubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, MC, MC5, there might be, but. Well, Brothers not, and Sisters is an overdub. <laughs> yes. But not so much in that sense of the, yeah. what this album is. Right, right. And I think this is, it's you know, it's 1978, you know. I they think started the, doing that a lot. Then. Right, the double yeah. live album is like a thing now, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's... Live Killers by Queen and stuff, they do overdubs on... Right, right. So, you know, I mean, you know, it is what it is, but I don't think at I this like point... I like a good dubbed out live album. Yeah. ACDC Live from the early 90s. That one super, super well, overdubbed. Kiss Alive was Kiss Alive is too. completely a studio recreation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Frampton, be one of Frampton comes nights. alive. Yeah. Uh, the first great double live is heavily overdubbed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The acoustic guitar in uh, um, uh, "Show Me the Way." Yeah. You know that whole acoustic mm-hmm. guitar. That's no. all studio. Yeah. Right. That's not really? live at all. No. no way. Yeah, I did not know that. Bummer summer, right? Bummer summer. Come on, Peter. The thing about live and dangerous too is that these are tracks taken from like over a year and a half period too. It's like a pretty wide right. range of shows that they were pulling from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, which I, I think is good. You get the real best version of each song to put right. in the live thing. Um, and to talk, I mean, we're talking like double live. This, I love the format of double live, especially if you're getting uh, familiar with a band. It's Double lives usually came out in the band's most productive, mm-hmm. uh, great periods. Um, they have usually all the greatest songs on them. And they're done in usually versions that are uh, superior, if not, you know, on par with the album version. So as a record collector, I always went for a great double live. And this is like Thin Lizzy's, you know, screw getting a greatest hits collection. Get this. This is where it's at. It's got all all the great tunes. And the, the, the album that would come out afterwards, uh, another lot, it's called life. Mm. Another live uh, collection. Um, mostly recorded at Hammersmith Odeon in, in London, but but yeah, I think I don't know. I feel like Thin Lizzy was another one of those bands that like kind of like the MC Five. It's about the live performance, you know. I mean, like if you th- you know, there's like the iconic, <laughs> uh, the iconic Thin Lizzy sign that's made out of like mm. big lights, you know. That I think Kiss would kind of also like emulate, you know. And I'm pretty sure I think <laughs> the, Kiss, Kiss, Kiss was, was first. first. Was yeah. Kiss first? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Um. Uh, the Thin Lizzy sign now owned by I want to say Lars from no, Metallica. Sure. I mean, they. One of those I think that you know, <laughs> yeah, one of those. Okay, real quick as a side note, uh, I work with a guy who is uh, shout out to John. Oh yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be listening to this. Huge, he's a huge Metallica fan, okay. and uh, yeah, he listened to the Metallica episode, and I like. I realized maybe after the fact that we do quite a bit of shit talking on Metallica too. I was like, you should listen to Metallica episode and all that. And he comes back and he's just like, yeah, I was, you know, I was all right. (laughs) You know, we kind of made fun of him and stuff, but either way, um, you got to mock the, you know, it's like the peasants mocking the gods on Mount Olympus. Yeah. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Damn you, Zeus. (laughs) 
Oh my god. Yeah, um. no, cuz you know, we might be sipping some haterade at some point, but it's it's uh I like it's how out it, of love. It is out of yeah. love. If we, I didn't like the band, I just wouldn't even think or talk about them. Right, yeah. we wouldn't cover them as a yeah. topic, I think, I if we if we genuinely didn't like the band. People bands, would mention yeah. it and be like, yeah, cool, enjoy it. I mean, I would like, see, like what you like. Yeah. I wish Metallica would have re- released like a, a great live album back they in the day. Yeah, they did. SMM. That's not it. That's not it. I want like a classic, like, would have been great. The only thing that they did do is like, I think the album Kill Em All, if you get the deluxe edition, there are live recordings, but it's not in this sort of a way, not in like a live and dangerous, not in the way where like they took yeah. all the time and consideration and went in and did all the okay, necessary so going back to live yeah. and dangerous though what like let's talk about you were talking about the the twin guitar leads i feel like mm. those are super prominent on here yeah. um did anybody think the vocals sounded way out of whack on here because <laughs> it almost sounded like okay so this is what it sounded like to me it sounded like the vocals were live right straight mm. up and then sometimes it sounded like you were getting the boxy studio-ness of some of the overdubs uh, mixed in and you could hear yeah. like the liveness of the vocals mm. sitting on top not that I, it bothered me but it gave yeah. i definitely heard it on like jailbreak yeah there's a there's a lot of like weird vocal moments where it kind of sounds I, it's hard to describe what it sounds like you can only really you have to listen to it to fully understand but it's like this weird tin like, canny yeah tin canny but almost kind of like over like are you saying thin canny or tin thin can- can- <laughs> You got a little Irish in you? Uh, you want a little more? Tin, tin canny. Uh, the Emerald Hoyle. But F- Phil in it is such a he's such a good vocalist. I didn't even notice. I didn't care. No, I yeah. didn't care either. I just, I just thought it was a vocal. I just thought yeah. it was like a, a filter, like a vocal filter just mm. to, that he used when it was live. Like, that's some, what it sounded like to me. There's some stuff on guitars, too, that it could be overdubs. It could be what, what it was live. But there's a cool thing where it reminded me of Def Leppard in the way of one of the guitars sounds like heavily flanged on a lot of songs, mm-hmm. which yeah. maybe was a live thing. Like maybe at that point they had live like rack units to get that effect. I assume. Cause this was yeah, 78. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that could have been an overdub thing too. Um, but I love that sound cause it just kind of gives a little bit of liquid weirdness. on Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. I Great lo- guitar playing on this. I like how like Thin Lizzy like uh, kind of definitely gets like the pre twin lead guitar like you would get like in Maiden later, but it's still yeah. very like um, they're still a very vocal and melody based band. Mm. Um, yeah. Like if you did these songs acoustically, you could you could still kind of do it. Um, and that's what I really like about this. Like it makes like some great sing along moments. The choruses are great on this record, right? And then you still get the shreddy guitar but it's not like you're listening to someone just like noodle sauce over everything it's like planned out twin leads um into a great solo sections yeah. and then back into some great playing because i feel like when you're when, especially when you're doing that when it's two guitar players working together you kind of have to know what you're doing you can't go off like cream style and just go into this like like improvised gobbledygook you have to kind of like and no disrespect to cream of course but you know we we love cream on this podcast at least Luke and some, I do. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Some of us are lactose intolerant. Yeah. <laughs> Just tolerate it, Jeff. Uh, so, yeah. So, but, but again, yeah, it, it does sound like everything is done with intention, you know, like mm-hmm. all those leads are, are done uh, intentionally. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I just think they're, they're super effective. And also, like Luke said, you know, I, I, these songs could, uh, some of these songs could be played in a, an acoustic way. You know, you hear the Irish influence. Like, some of them you could hear it being played with, like, a mandolin, an Irish bazooki, and, like, you yeah. know, like, in kind of, like, this folk sort of a setting, too, you know? So I love I love the Irish flavor that's thrown in there. Likewise with, like, say, a Rory Gallagher, where you can hear a bit of that Irish flavor 
in blues, this is kind of Irish flavor in like stadium rock, you know. So and, uh, that's what I love about it. Like Jeff pointed out, too, uh, highly influential record to like people, like the next wave of artists that would come in the eighties. Yeah. Because like yeah. you were saying, like Def Leppard and stuff, mm. all those guys were championing Thin Lizzy. Like mm. they were a real kind of like I feel like a transition band in yeah, in right. the rock style where because they weren't metal yet. But no, they were close. They, they were, were close they were, to what metal would become. Yeah, and they were yeah. always just like riding on that really close to heavy metal, mm. but still had the old school like I need like singing about something yeah. that's you know in a yeah. very melodic way, and um, the drums aren't ever um, abrasively heavy. They more no, right. they flow with mm-hmm. it, so that's where like it's not um, you know you're not getting a lot of halved up stuff a lot of fills in there you're getting a lot of steady drum beats and that kind of stuff but yeah uh, yeah, i always find them to be like a transitional kind of artist that separated people like def leppard and you know Mm -hmm. all that stuff so yeah so there it is my final pick yeah out out of those late 70s bands like you're just saying where it's hard rock it's kind of pop rock it's not quite metal like this is it's great stuff yeah i also find that uh, american band i also find that kiss sits right in that pocket as well yeah. at a certain point in time. Oh, you wanted the best. Yeah. You got it. It's not quite heavy metal yet. It's <laughs> not quite, you know. Yeah. So, Jeffrey, your final pick, yeah. which I'm happy that you kind of did this, the quick substitution. I did a pivot, yeah. I was going to do the same thing. We'll get into that when we do honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I decided to just stick with my three, but I'm happy that yeah. you did this one just to bring it to something a little bit more modern, present day. Yeah, so I was thinking, I was making my list, and I had, like, my five, and then I looked at my list, and I'm like, well, I forgot that a lot of, like, my favorite jazz records are recorded live. So, like, the Bill Evans stuff, the Ahmad Jamal stuff, and then I started to think about my favorite current, I call it, they are jazz band. They're a big band. They're a jazz fusion band, Snarky Puppy. Um, this album, recorded in 2013, came out in 2014. It's called We Like It Here. It's a live album, but it's a live in the studio album. Yeah. So it's like the band convened in the Netherlands. They were in one of the big recording rooms. So it's like, you know, a 50 by 50 foot room. Um, Because Snarky Puppy at the time, it's like a 15 to 17 piece band. And then also on this recording, it's augmented. They have a string quartet joining on them. Um, And it's like, I, I believe they recorded these eight tracks over three or four nights, three or four days. They... Most of the band met and rehearsed for like the week leading up to it. The drummer on this session, Larnell Lewis, amazing. He had played two of the eight tracks before on like tours with Snarky Puppy, but then the other six tracks on the eight hour flight to the Netherlands, he listened to the demos over and over again and like worked out what he was going to do. And if you ever, if you want to look up some great drumming stuff, just look up Larnell Lewis. He has a lot of videos on Drumio, which is a service that's like a drum tutorial service. And he's a master at like hearing a song once and then perfectly being able to play like everything in the case real quick. In the case of Enter <laughs> Sandman actually playing it better. Like shout but, out to Lars already. And, and snarky puppy is true jazz fusion where it's like their shit in, five four that then goes to a ten eight feel there's stuff where it's four four and then there goes to twelve it goes twelve eight or goes to nine eight um there's all these little two two beat measures and stuff so that in itself larnell lewis learning that stuff and just playing uh incredibly on this session is mind-blowing um but this whole band is dope it's like the lineup is like bass drums 
three or four keyboard players, two trumpets, two sax players. Um, a fugelhorn, right? Is yeah, that what that is? Yeah, a couple of the songs, the, the trumpets jump on flugelhorn. <laughs> um, Chris Bullock is one of the sax players. He plays bass clarinet not on a song. He plays flute on one of the songs. Um, but some some mini moog in there. Tons of mini moog. Uh, you got Sean Martin does a lot of the moog work. Uh, Corey Henry does a lot of the uh, full length synthesizer work. Um, yeah, just great players. The whole band. Um, what's the bass player's name? Um, I got you. Hang on, bass player. Where are we? Oh, Michael League. League. That's what it was. Yeah, Michael League is the uh he's a band leader of it he's a bass player he plays some key bass on a couple of tracks uh, but it's just like oh th- there's also three guitarists in the band yes bob lanzetti mark lettieri and chris mcqueen who are all just monsters in their own right but like yeah this band is just like the it's a collection of absolute beasts who just play the arrangement, play your part. Well, right. Because there's moments everywhere. It's every, every, That's kind of the overall theme, like I my, feel like, yeah. for this podcast, which is... My, well, my know. favorite part about that, like you're saying, everyone's just playing for the thing, is that when I kind of realized, I didn't know what this was walking into mm-hmm. it, and when I realized it was fusion-y, I was so glad that this was not a guitar, shreddy, yeah. all-over-the-place fusion record. Because yeah. I was just... I was, And when I heard them playing muted... Um, you know, kind of like in um, percussive styles at times and kind of just flushing out, playing really well together. I was so satisfied that like yeah. it wasn't a shred fest and like everybody yeah. got to shine. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets to shine on here. And that's what I really love. And there's moments, man, like every the, the solos people are shredding. Uh, like what about me? Bob, Bob Lanzetti, guitar player, has a solo on that where he starts with these very atmospheric like second type of chords that then just goes into this full like craziness on the song jambo and mark lettieri who's wearing a van halen shirt yes the recording. yes he is he's the van halen in the group like yeah. he's just a dude who wants to like he's like the racehorse who just wants to run a thousand miles an hour um but that but that was the great part is seeing them play so tamed yeah. in other sections and then when it was their turn it was almost like because you had not seen their full potential yet that mm. when they shredded off nuts, you were like, what is going yeah. on? This guy is yeah. crazy. It just built the energy in the room because it wasn't on 10 the whole mm. time. My favorite uh, moment is, I think, Co- when Corey Henry takes the solo. Oh, yeah. And who is it? Sean Martin that's standing there. Mm. And you see his reaction to him. And he's like, oh, my. Oh, he, like, he like just is like, what yeah. the fuck is going on? That's on the on? last like, cut. What's the name of that song? Yeah, Lingus. Lingus. Yeah, that was one of the... And he's like doing all the like the the pitch shifting and all this yeah. stuff, and you're like, what the fuck? And and if you, I definitely encourage anybody who wants to like listen to this to definitely watch it because mm. half of the fun of it is watching the other musicians reacting to the people who are doing like the lead mm. stuff because there's even moments where you see people in the string section, they're like, what the fuck? You know, like yeah. you see violinists who are just like, oh my god, this is amazing, you know? Right. And uh, so I started out listening to this on Spotify and I was reading about the album because I know nothing about it, and I was like, oh. There's a video that goes with it, and then yeah. I started it over and watched, started watching the video, and was instantly um, taken aback by how the mix was a bit di- bit different in the video. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, way more like keyboard in my ear mm-hmm. in um, the the studio album of it, but um, the, so I enjoyed the mix a little bit better too. But um, just seeing everybody's face like turn like 
god damn like it'd scrunch up and be like that's nasty like yeah. at every moment like there's somebody reacting to somebody else and you really get to feel the um the levity of the like whatever the vibe is in the room it really comes through on the video where i thought the recording was a little more like you know muted of it nuanced and, yeah yeah nuanced yeah. so and i could imagine afterwards like if you watch the video and then you're in your car playing it you'd get the vibe because you know what it was yeah but um oh my god what a great video and just to bring this conversation back around full circle what kind of bass is michael league playing P bass, and what kind of strings does he have? Flatwounds, Thank you. So that's what that's what I'm saying. This this I mean this album came out in 2014, but Michael League is still a very active musician. He has oh, yeah. a, a side ensemble, uh, Bocante, I think it's called. Bocante, yeah. I think he's in Madrid or Barcelona. I think he lives in Spain right now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But again, just to just to just to say, P bass with flatwounds with Donny Hathaway. P bass with flat wounds, you know, uh, Michael League present day. So it, it just it goes to show you, man. Like it's like, have you ever seen that meme? There's a meme on the internet that shows like the progression of like phones into cell phones, yeah. and then right next to it, it just shows the same model P bass every single decade, you know. And it's like, if it's not broke, don't fix it, man. Like mm-hmm. it's an incredible sound, and in a mix, it just sounds perfect. You just can't go wrong with that setup. And this whole band, like the thing I love about Snarky Puppy is, it's. 15 16 17 players but the arrangements are like it's orchestrated so well so it's combining the timbres of different instruments together so a lot of the times it'll be like a sax a keyboard and a guitar will be playing unison the same line so it just gives it this thickness and this cool um fullness and sound to it um so it's it it when you think of a 70s piece band, you think there's going to be so much madness going on, but it's pretty stripped down and as like yeah. bare bones as you can make a big jazz fusion band uh, sound. Um, also, I didn't mention Nate Worth is like one of my favorites. He is the percussionist on, uh, he's one of three but he, in Snarky Puppy, but he's the percussionist who's on this live album. And he is just, um, he is ridiculous. Like there's the song, uh, Tia Mc. Tio Macaro is the second to last song. Yep. And the whole thing is just on these driving bells. And he just has to basically play that for like eight minutes straight. And, the, he, and you could see the, uh, there's three percussionists right. there and all they're, they're so excited and they're jumping up and down with each other and their faces are yeah. getting like so red. And then the drummer on the kit is across the room mm-hmm. from them. And they're like locking eyes and laughing at each other, like in a complete yeah. madness of pure happiness. Yeah. That, oh my god, what, that was one of my favorite songs. Is he the percussionist that's featured in the Snarky Puppy Tiny Desk? I'm trying to remember. Um, most likely. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Right. There's two others. Um, there's a guy. He's kind of like a Joseph, stockier dude. Short um, hair. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy. They also have a Polish percussionist and an Asian percussionist. Okay, so then join yeah. them on different things. Yeah, so that was probably him on Tiny um, Desk. And Nate Worth's other band is a is a group called Ghost Note, which I highly recommend. Which is more of a James Brown funk instrumental type of group. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I the solos on this are crazy, like crazy, crazy. Like Bob Reynolds has a solo. It's either on out, I think it's on Outlier or Tia Macaro, where he's a sax player and he's doing these like octave and double octave jumps yep and it's a great solo and it's this weird out time thing it's just him and the drum set and the drum set is doing these skittery things and he's getting into it so much that his headphones fall off his head and they're like hanging off and like the guy next to him like picks him up and like 
tries to put him like just very gently back on his ears while he's like ripping these sax lines. Um, and that yeah. part was nuts, man. Yeah. Like when he's playing that sax part, and then the drummer is mimicking the runs right. that he's doing on oh, the sax, yeah. right. but it's literally like it, it's yeah. it's so magical because yeah. he plays it, and you're like, there's no way. But he reacts immediately. He reacts in real yeah. time. Plays the same exact uh, beat yeah. of the notes. Mm-hmm. It was if it was like no 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 no. It goes like right yeah. after, and you're like right. God damn! Like that's yeah. listening. And, it's, yeah, great listening. musical conversation. And this being a live album, not only is the band reaction reacting. Um, so like after the Corey Henry Linga solo, after the Bob Reynolds solo, like uh, the band members are clapping stuff. But it's a live album because it's recorded in a big studio room, and the band is set up around the room, but interspersed around the band are like 50 people like from the Netherlands who are sitting there quietly with their headphones. Everyone has their own special set of headphones on to listen to the full mix and they're reacting real time too. They're not going crazy because like it's still a studio recording, but they're clapping and whatever after solos and um, it's very much a live album, even though it's in the studio. That laid the older woman with her glasses that they, yeah, they yeah. keep showing. She's yeah. like tapping her glasses yeah. on her leg. And <laughs> I mean... I love all of Snarky Puppy stuff, but out of all of their, out of their whole discography, these eight songs is my favorite collection all batched together. Yeah, um, it's such a variety of songs. It's like these epic sweeping. Like the first song is this almost Middle Eastern kind of flair. Mm-hmm. There's a part after the big drum break where everyone starts singing three part harmonies. I'm like, oh, oh, and it just sounds like this tribal sound. Um, Jambone is this like Afro pop type of like super, yeah, super African feel song. Um, yeah. And the shiny moment is Corey Henry's solo on Lingus, which is just Corey Henry is this child prodigy who is, he was like playing church organ for his church when he was five years old, like seriously. And, and he plays this solo where it's just, everything drops out and the bass just goes to this heartbeat type of thing in five, four. And he's doing these like searching, just like ninth, major seventh, add 13, flat six, you know, chords. And he's just like staring up. He never looks at his hands really. And he's just like finding the thing and feeling it along. And, and it's just like kind of wandering. And then he gets into it and he's just doing these down and dirty, like, do it, and then and and they're all like, whoo, holy shit. And then he's still looking up and he starts doing it on two in octaves on two different keyboards yeah. the same i'm talking crazy like 16th note chromatic fucking runs in perfect octaves because you especially you watch the video you're like this dude doesn't flub a fucking note it's right. crazy i think i remember in two octaves yeah i think i remember having a cop because never looking at his hands right nuts i think i remember having a conversation with you and you're like i under i like it, to a certain degree, I understand it, oh. but at the same time, it's yeah. like your your mind can't even wrap oh, no. your head around it. You're like, yeah. what the fuck? Like, like, how is this just coming to him? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, it's almost like you're saying he doesn't look at anything, mm-hmm. but he's kind of almost staring. He, like, he's looking around the room, but yeah. it's almost like he's not looking at anybody, mm-hmm. and that's the whole point. It's I, just coming ethereally down. Right, it's right. Like, at that it's point, It's that immediacy just, of just not – not yeah. getting in your own way of playing. He's just the vessel. You know what I mean? He's just yeah. the means by which the music is happening well, at that point. He's it, just the trans like then, the transmitter. Like in the beginning of the solo, the guy that is next to him is yeah. just um you you get him reacting. He's putting his hand to his face like mm. holy shit, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. Um and then he's you could tell because that other dude's kind of you know, losing his mind about how good it is. Mm. 
the dude that's playing the solo starts playing more intensely to get that dude to right. geek out more. And yeah. it, it's, you're getting that moment too where he's just yeah. like, oh yeah, you haven't seen this yet. And then that's as soon as he kicks into that the second part of the solo that you're talking about, that's when it goes absolutely crazy. You can tell yeah. everybody in the room is just. Well, no, those are the those magical musical mm. moments, you know. I mean, we all play music, you know. At some point or another, we've all had those sort of musical conversations with people and each other and been like, oh, man, oh, man, we're doing it. We're like, it's, ha you know, it's actually happening. And you're like, and you're experiencing it. And it's just so exciting and so amazing, you know, so. Yeah, the, the highlight moments on this album are Larnell Lewis, period the drummer yeah just, the entire just, set is amazing he basically him. plays like he has five arms like it's fucking crazy and such a great feel and such a great understanding of what's coming next and hitting all the moments and all the bursts and all the hits um the bob Lanzetti solo on the second track we like it here uh, or whatever that song's called i love the mini moog uh talk box solo that, yeah. that sean martin does at the beginning of sleeper and throughout sleeper um, the Bob Reynolds sax solo and then yeah the Corey Henry solo are just but it's a, it's it's a band that's all top players and and yeah just check it out man yeah my uh my only my only quarrel with this release was the video uh, seeing that the bass player was like the the mastermind behind the whole thing there's almost no footage of him playing the bass in right. that whole entire yeah, there's, recording. Yeah, there's quick little They just show him like stuff. smiling and yeah. nodding and be like, yeah. They, yeah but, right. it's, but you notice it's yeah. only from the back they shot right. him. It's They don't have yeah. one single front of him like yeah. actually mm -hmm. like really like showing what he's doing on the bass. Yeah. But um, that yeah. I could probably maybe understand that if you're the mastermind, you want to give everybody else the spotlight yeah. and highlight your band, yeah. which is uh, very tasteful. Mm -hmm. But um, I was just seeing that. I was like, ah, I want to know what he's doing. I well, wanna, that's what it is. Though. I want to see him like like secretly yeah. conducting and and they don't really give you the uh taste behind the you know like what, yeah. what's behind the curtain there so uh but that kind of led me yeah. to be like well you know everyone's got a little bob dylan and he dir he directed all of the videos too so he picked when what they were going to show exactly and, that's yeah. he's, but tell. he's he's probably he's like the classiest bass player yeah he like plays right only now. what's needed yeah and a lot of his stuff is doubled by like sean martin on the mini mode because mm -hmm. you listen to it and it's not repetitive stuff it's like repetitive yeah. chord progressions at times but what he's doing is like right right it's like all over the place but it's very minimal and yeah yeah just an insane band um yeah i nice. loved it cast, it was cast bennett turned me on to snarky puppy ah, shout it, out cast and bennett. wolfpack and Great musical taste, Cass Bennett. Shout out to Cass Very Bennett. out of my um, musical zone, but I uh, I dug and mm. it was a great listen. Yeah. Yeah, it gets me like super fired up and it's also like really relaxing, like fall asleep music at the yeah. same time. It's yeah, like the yeah. best. Uh, so there you have it. Those are our three lives. You want to just do a quick, uh, quick uh, rapid round here of just like some honorable mentions? Aretha, Live at the Fillmore, King Curtis, Backing Band. Check Especially it out. Especially the, yeah, the version where it's like you can listen to all three nights in its entirety, whatever that collection is called. Yeah, you, yeah. you listen to for her going real timid to yeah. by the last set, absolutely Everything's commanding faster. the stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Incredible. Great. One Live at Fillmore East, yep. um, Almond Brothers. Almond Brothers. The greatest intro for a band I've ever heard. Okay, the Almond Brothers band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is one of the best. Yeah. Uh, I, what one album I wanted to I was thinking about subbing out and I ended up not doing it where the light is John Mayer 
Oh right, yeah. Oh, Los yeah, Angeles. Yeah, yeah. Oh, where Pino Paladino and does Steve Jordan set. Yeah, he does the trio set, and then he does the full band. And then he does the yeah, full yeah, band right. set. That's like for yeah. me, that's like a monster yeah. like live album. Throw that try I in there. Was try. Amazing. Yeah, the yeah or try as well. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. That's a great one. Oh, um, I didn't even think about that one. Me either. Yeah, that was yeah I thought about it after the fact. I've listened so much too. To tap back into. Uh, like the hard rock thing. Uh, the band Rainbow on stage was another like fun, you know, like post Deep Purple. Richie Blackmore teamed up with Ronnie James Dio to just give you this sort of like wizards and magic. Uh, well, you know, also made in Japan by Deep Purple. Yeah, no overdub, crazy right. live record. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what was the live Iron Maiden album? Oh like my the god, one. dude! Uh, live, live after death. Live after death. Yeah, that's one of my favorite live records of isn't all that, time i think isn't it the is the documentary about that uh flight 666 no 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 that's, for, that's, the, that's for the later tour where oh, bruce dickinson tour. is driving the plane to every gig oh yeah yeah no 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 life after Pilot death children's is the book um, writer bruce is, dickinson is the power of slave tour oh yeah, yeah. oh my god yeah do giant eddie flight of like, the icarus on there uh two minutes to midnight yeah um running free off yeah. the first album that closes the record uh Two minutes to midnight on that record, though. Oh, so good. Oh, we Sorry, I, just, <laughs> we I talk... was like, I, I forgot about that record. That's yeah, killer. we can talk Iron Maiden all day. I um, love Iron. Yeah, Maiden. the jazz ones. So like, Live at the Pershing by Ahmad Jamal, um, Sunday Village Vanguard, or Walls for Debbie by Bill Evans Trio, which recorded on the same day. Great albums. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Live Killers by Queen. Yeah, oh, the Talking Heads album that you were going. Oh yeah, do. stop, stop making, making sense. sense. Yep, I I I swapped that out because I wanted to showcase the jazz stuff, and also, Stop Making Sense is a great live album, but it's a better movie. Agreed. Because I think it's the best, Talk, in my opinion, it's, it's the, the best Talking best, Heads thing, right? Yeah, and it's the it's the best like pure concert movie because it's it's directed by Jonathan Demi, who went on to uh, direct like Silence of the Lambs stuff. So it's just great, like. Great shots, great uh, heavy close-ups and stuff, and the you got to like the show is good for its choreography and dancing and stage. Yeah. Tom Tom Club also yeah. also plays Genius of Love. Genius of Love, man. Um, so yeah, that's more of like if we were talking about live movies, live documentary type yeah. of things, that would be on the list. Um, concert for Bangladesh. Yeah. Oh Mid-70s, yeah. Mid seventies, like George Harrison and Ringo Starr and everybody on the planet. Uh, Jeff Buckley. Going back to Jeff Buckley also inspired me then to listen to a little bit of Doors last night just because oh, he yeah. does that thing. So absolutely live. That live <laughs> Doors album, incredible. I've never listened to uh, Oh, there's a great moment in it where he's just like, I think it's the, absolutely live where he's just like, I am uh, i don't know how many people believe in astrology. And you hear, <laughs> oh, yeah. and you hear the, the girls in the, in the audience are like, I knew Jim. He's like, oh, I'm a Sagittarius, the most philosophical of all the signs. And they're just like, I'm a Sagittarius too. And then he's just like, anyway, I don't believe in it. I think it's a bunch of bullshit if you ask me. And they're like, we don't believe in it either. But I'll tell you this, man, I'm going to get my kicks what before you, the whole shit house goes up in flames. All right. Uh, absolutely live. Yeah, that's I call the, it absolutely alcoholism. Uh, yeah, absolutely drunk. Uh, what's the other one? The one that was released in the, uh, I think like in 1980 in concert. Uh, that Doors one. The or the, of, Alive She Cried. Alive She Cried. Alive She Cried, yeah. That, that one isn't on Spotify, I don't think. Uh, yes, it is. Alive She Cried is um, the double in concert. It, it's Alive She Cried is built into that. They, uh, they made title. a new release. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. London Fog. 1966 live too with that's that's an early doors oh, man i love a live she cried because it's got that great um 
interjection of uh during um he does like the poem during uh <laughs> which one uh, <laughs> yeah, I think poems. it's during light my fire because he's like um, Indian scattered on he's just like uh, bleeding. he's like two made love behind an ancient graveyard yeah. <laughs> one cried it's, mad it's, it's like uh, <laughs> yeah man. and then he does that like scream where it's like ah Ah, 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 like right after it like i went back last night three and made I was love like, in an ancient spot that, that like i went back stonehenge and i listened the great the great thing about okay so that is from a live she cried uh during uh like my fire yeah and the great part of that is is that isn't even on that recording they edited in a different <laughs> a different poem just into that song <laughs> yeah i mean it's great in the way, like, I listened to, this, this isn't a live album, but I went back and listened to An American Prayer last night, man. And there's definitely moments where I'm like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Like, what is he going on about, you know? Dewey Cox, bro. Yeah. Oh, man, here yeah. we go. Oh, no. It always comes back to Dewey. <laughs> what the, the hell is he Indian. talking about? <laughs> the white Indian. <laughs> the shapeshifter. The shapeshifter, the drifter. Uh, anyway. The, well, chame- they, the chameleon. The chameleon. <laughs> The white Indian is the best one. Oh. It's so stupid. God, it's so horrible. Uh, well, listen, if Dylan is is the great prophet Zachariah. <laughs> I think he pop his Methuselah or whatever. <laughs> also, can we point out that we uh, did live albums today because we're back in live person with yeah. each yes, other? That's we did not point this out the whole episode. Yes, well, yes. I think we did in our impromptu greeting. Yeah, maybe. Did we? Yeah, I think so. Our candid intro. That also we tying it back to Thin Lizzy saying the boys are back in town because yeah, we true. are very the much back in town. Back. The, boys the boys are, are back. back. And I didn't get vaxxed and relaxed and ready to attack. <laughs> Don't you know it? Vaxxed and lagged, wang tang, sweet poon tang, <laughs> whack them and stack them, as Uncle Ted would say. <laughs> you, you really got me caught in a stranglehold, Mike. Oh my God, Uncle Ted's got everyone in a stranglehold. That maniac. <laughs> Anyway, uh, well, guys, it's so nice to be in a room together again. It really is. I missed you guys so much. Yeah. This is great. It's been this a free-for-all over it's here. It's been a free-for-all. Uh, next week, we tackle the Great White Buffalo. We'll see you next time. <laughs> no, we will not be covering Ted Nugent next week. Uh, for for somebody, for us who are like, yeah, Ted Nugent is crazy, man. We almost talk about Uncle Ted on every episode of Ted in the Garage. Yeah, look who's leading the ship over here. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to come in next week in a loincloth with a little yeah. raccoon tail and just start eating your steaks with ketchup. Oh, my God. Yeah, if you guys want a, an, an intense hunting experience. <laughs> Watch that video no, of Ted don't, Nugent cooking a, a cooking ask a, for somebody. Don't watch anything Ted Nugent releases. Other yeah, if, if you want to no, listen to some know, music, I listen know. to that. But yeah, yeah, listen to the early stuff. I know we we you know we just like to bust chops and stuff. But he's he's a, he's crazy. Yeah, you know, like like his music, hate his politics. That's kind of the thing. Well, this has been getting the garage. Yeah, this is the content you deserve once again. <laughs> No, I have no train whistle. Oh, where's the train whistle? I could go grab it. We have take high quality minute. microphones to finally record to do the train whistle justice, and you don't even bring it, Luke. Some conductor you are. I like anyway. how you faked it. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're, we'll roll into the station with you all next time. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Uh, you can find us on uh, social media, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, any any comments or questions, please feel free to message us too. Yeah, and also, don't forget to hit the like button and the subscriptions buttons and the follow buttons. And uh, if you're listening on Apple, 
you know, drop us a review uh, and uh, give us a five star rating if you feel like we deserve it, because it lets the algorithm know we exist. Oh, and any, any topic suggestions as well? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So anyway, I've been Mike. I've been Luke. I've been Jeff. And don't forget to get in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> This has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information, and links to other shows please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com slash podcasts.